0: Hi, I am Victoria Levy.
1: Hi, I'm Keith Knowles, and this is FinOps Pod.
2: And as we hit record on the podcast, Joe starts to choke leaves the room and I'm left to do the podcast by myself. Hi, this is Stacy Case and Joe Daly and this is Finop's Pod.
3: That sounds great to me. <laughs> okay. There we go. You ready? No, that's it. That's the intro.
2: <laughs> okay. So hey, so this is This FinOps is Pod. Finop's
3: Pod.
2: And you know what, Joe, we are in the middle of summer Mm -hmm. and everybody's on vacation and taking Mm -hmm. holidays. And I think that is amazing. And I need to remember not to be mad at other people just because they take a holiday and I forgot to schedule (laughs) one.
3: (laughs) Called jealousy.
2: I'm very jealous. Yes, I'm very, very jealous of people who are taking these amazing holidays and I just didn't do well, that I forgot remind me next it's year. it's funny do that. that you
3: say that because my plan for this podcast episode it's on working groups and my plan was to include Vaz in the intro talking with us so he could talk to us about some of the intricacies of working group outputs but he's on vacation in Greece right now I know, I know so it's I just kind of like I'm happy for him Seeing but his pictures are yeah, beautiful
2: Right? Like, I'm very happy for him. And I know that he loves those trips, but I'm incredibly jealous at the same time. It's just like, yeah, you're
3: in Greece. Good for you. Good for you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's beautiful. It's sunny. There's gorgeous water and all of this great food.
3: Yeah. And I was on vacation in the Caribbean of the Midwest, northern Michigan, which I absolutely love. It's gorgeous. I'm on this beautiful sandy beach, crystal clear water. You know, there's islands and and all sorts of things. Take out the palm trees, put in pine trees. I'm like, this is so beautiful. And I'm taking photos. And then I see Vaz's photos. I'm like, oh, Greece. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm looking at your photos of you kayaking and being on the beach up in Mm -hmm. Michigan. And Vaz's photos of being on the water in Greece. Well, I'm sitting out in a field with goats, putting my feet in a little teeny tiny Three foot wide swimming pool but, that they won't even go into because they're goats. So,
3: sounds nice.
2: Yes, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, this isn't a podcast about Stacy's insane jealousy. Or the magnificent holidays that the FinOps community is taking during the summer months. This is a podcast about FinOps. This is
3: very FinOpsy.
2: This is a FinOpsy. Yeah, FinOps-y. This is a very
3: FinOpsy one.
2: <laughs> you know what, mm-hmm. though? I do feel like we, we needed to shift back into this because leading up to X, we had a lot of. You know, blurbs get people excited to go to X. And then we did a recap after X. And I think we're now back in the groove again of here's some real good content to help you learn things.
3: That's right. You know, that helps you every day. And and this is Mm -hmm. one of them. This is an interview with Victoria Levy from Altrix and Keith Knowles from Advisor, who are part of the Managing Cloud Cost Anomaly Working Group lots of great people in this working group and they're on sprint two of their working group basically working groups the way it works is that a working group gets approved people join it and there's three sprints and so they're on sprint two
2: sometimes not always not always three sprints. but
3: the default template is a three sprint working group they recently put out a few months ago there was a managing cloud cost anomaly Working group output in sprint two is to further mature that with a lot of real life stories and examples and these working groups, Stacey, you'll hear in the interview a lot is it's so much more mature. Now we have working groups coming together from the community and they're really maturing the guidance in this space. Mm -hmm. And as I was talking to Victoria and Keith, I kept thinking like, wow, I was just so simple when i was handling this you know a few years ago i would just be like hey go look at this make it go away you know that was managing cloud cost anomalies joe Daly style just delegate
2: so so you're saying victoria and keith have uh, taken it up a notch or two which may not have been that difficult from the way that i Heath mean did i set the bar it. low
3: but absolutely, yeah. and I'm just like, wow, if I was a practitioner now, these resources are just such great ways to help mature a process. So I'm really happy that this is happening. Talking to them spurs a bunch of ideas in my head. And I'm just like, wow, maybe I would do it like this. Or maybe, I, you know, you could report on that. So it's really cool. And, and it's great that we have these community working groups to really push yeah. our framework forward.
2: Very cool. Well, hey. Without further ado, let's get into it. Oh wait, I forgot. Let me put on my Joe Daily voice again. Mm. Okay, let's get into it. I, that sounds like I am, <laughs> <laughs> I am not Yogi
3: Bear. I am not Yogi Bear.
2: Okay, let's get into it. Enjoy the podcast, folks.
3: <laughs> uh-huh. You're both part of the managing cloud costs, anomalies, working group sprints one and the ongoing sprint two. And I want to talk to you about the work done in those working groups. But first I'd like to take the opportunity for those folks who have always heard about working groups, but have not been a part of one. Can you both talk about what it was like to work in a working group like this and what your experience was like, Victoria, you go first.
0: So this was my first working group and I thought it was an amazing experience because I came in with some ideas on anomalies and it's great to be able to enter a group where other people have their ideas and everybody else in this group comes with a lot of their own experiences that things that I didn't even think of. And so I've learned a lot and it's also great to be able to contribute something that I've also thought of to the broader FinOps community.
3: That's cool. That's cool. Keith, what was your experience like?
1: Well, I'd echo what Victoria just said. The other aspect, though, that I thought was really, really cool about the group is it was very diverse as far as the folks that were part of it, small companies, large companies, vendors, practitioners, you know, so consumers of, the, of other companies' products, the CSPs were engaged, yet we were very focused on getting the work output done. And there's a, a lot of willingness to listen to other people. To engage, to listen and adjust thought based on feedback from other folks. So I thought that was fantastic. It was just a really cohesive group.
3: You know what, I was gonna ask you both about that because this is all volunteer work. You know, everyone's raised their hand to join the group as an extra on top of their day jobs. But I remember trying to get collaborative teamwork when we all worked for the same company. And here, everyone has a different sort of role in different company and different perspective from practitioner, consultant, vendor profile. How was that like working together? What was the collaboration experience like there?
0: So I thought it was very helpful to have someone like Sam organize us. Mm -hmm. And I think it was also great that everybody, because it's a volunteer group, everybody is excited to contribute something. And so we Mm -hmm. all just pick our topics and add to it. And then we can peer review each other based on the different experiences that we've had.
3: That's a great point. No one was assigned to be there uh, against their will. Yeah, I think
1: there's always that aspect of herding cats when you have a large group, especially volunteers, as you you mentioned, and folks when you are actually getting a paycheck, sometimes it's just as hard to herd that group. But in this Mm -hmm. case, everybody seemed to come together and stay focused. And I think There is a common goal to try to get things done in a timely manner. Not to say that, you know, myself included didn't sometimes, oh, I'm going to have this done for next week and then, well, okay, I need another week. But we really rallied at the end to pull things together. Some folks stepped up, some folks had commitments, but people stepped up to really get the deliverable done when we committed to have it done.
3: Right. Yeah. And Victoria, you brought up a great point. Sam White from FinOps Foundation, she does a tremendous job as official working group cat herder to make sure everything's scheduled and organized and tries to land on time. So that's excellent. I'm glad to hear that. So I was looking over the first sprints output that's on FinOps.org's website, managing cloud cost anomalies. And I was going through it and I just kept thinking this would have been so helpful about two or three years ago for me. Because I really liked how you all kind of fleshed out what an anomaly is. I really like the definition I want to spend just a second talking about it, that it is an unpredicted variation in cloud spend. And I th- think that that phrase unpredicted variation, because we all expect cloud spend to vary, but an unpredicted one. You also differentiated it from it just simply being an outlier. What's the difference between unplanned variation and just an outlier of spend?
0: I would explain it as looking at it from a statistics perspective. Everything is like a process. And Mm -hmm. so an anomaly is something that deviates from that process. And it's not just the average number because that's going to average all of the variation into that number. You really want the deviations to count. And so if something is deviating by more than you would expect, then that stands out as an anomaly
3: that is good. And the Sprint One brought around this entire process of you know, record the anomaly, stakeholders receive notification, anomaly source identified, remediate the anomaly and document the case, and enhance tools to detect faster, prevent, or ignore anomalies. So basically anomaly detection and notification, analysis, resolution, and retrospective. It's a really great process that's overviewed in shows some different, different applications of it. So that was sprint one. What are you all working on in sprint two of the working group? So we're
1: looking to build out and round out the work product a little bit more. So one of the areas we're diving into as an example is tooling, which we barely touched on in the initial guidebook, so to speak, right? So we talked about the need for it. We talked about some of the basic capabilities. Now we're doing more of a deep dive into the tooling as far as the different types of tooling, the different types of modeling, the use of ML in anomaly detection and getting the pretty specific larger workflow, I should say, types of automation tools. We also are spending more time in the maturity model where we touched on that again in the guidebook. But as we build this out to be a playbook, we're really defining out what does that look like to be a, a crawl type of an organization versus a run type of an organization and expanding upon those capabilities that you need to be in that space. We're also providing a lot more examples. So we've reached out to the community and started asking folks, can you give us some more examples that we can use? So some case studies that we can incorporate into this to help people understand
3: better a typical journey and what things might look like. So talk to me about the maturity aspect. How do you determine if you're mature or not in this space?
0: I would say that at the beginning, probably the crawl stage, you're looking at things from a big overview and you're tracking maybe your total costs or one specific service and looking at it manually. But I think the maturity comes with being able to get more granular and having specific groupings of those line items that you want to track. And so those groupings might fall to a specific team or they might be the inputs to be used in unit costs. And so those are going to be the important line items that you might want to track as you get more mature.
3: So let me ask, because the way I handled anomalies when I managed a practitioner team was not very mature at all. We had a tool that would let us know when it noticed a spend anomaly, but then I didn't follow any of the steps. I just said, go take care of this to somebody, but I would see it and I'd be like, oh, it's this team again. And then I would just kind of brush it off, do that, like sort of semi-informed ignoring versus where is this coming from? and you know, why is this non-revenue generating cloud service all of a sudden generating revenue for the cloud service provider? You know, items like that. What's a more mature way of handling those things other than Joe Daly just eyeballing it and trying to figure out if it's important or not? So a couple
1: of things come to mind, right? So on the maturity curve, obviously, and in general with everything within FinOps, you have this movement from, very manual process to more automation. And then I've talked about in in some of the sections I just wrote for the playbook is this concept of being future aware and understanding potential events and forecasts that may be coming down the road for incorporating that in the anomaly detection, being able to factor that into the statistics as you're looking for deviations. The other thing that we've talked quite a bit about that I think is a key thing is unit economics. And the classic Black Friday event, right? So my servers auto-scale, they go up on Black Friday, my cost spike. Well, is that a bad thing? Hopefully your volumes have picked up and your orders, transactions have gone through. So your sales have gone up. If you are incorporating unit economics, your unit costs, if things are scaling linearly, your unit costs are going to be within the standard deviation. If they're not, then you may have a cost anomaly.
3: That's a really interesting perspective that You guys just connected these dots in my head so i could be seeing costs skyrocket and if i'm just looking at the cloud costs i think something bad might be happening in the meantime a sale is going on or good business is generating and if i was just tracking my unit cost i wouldn't have noticed anything and i would know my cloud spend is still good cloud spend Victoria, how have you seen that play out? Like, I I don't know if it would be possible for me to get to that in the past, but have you seen that been implemented, cost anomaly by unit economics or unit cost?
0: I would say not incredibly formally, but Mm -hmm. there are definitely situations where we expect costs to increase. And then all of the native tooling will let us know this jumped up. But if you have good communication structures, I think that would help because sometimes the engineering team may not know exactly what's going on. And so part of detecting and resolving these anomalies are building those communication structures. So you do know what's going on. And if that part can be automated, then I think it would help to be able to resolve some of those, even if you are expecting it.
3: Well, and it'd also be a really good way to, you know, you're using your communication structure to gather that information. My head's starting to spin now. Sorry. But if I was presenting, because eventually if you're the FinOps practitioner, you're going to have to present the cloud spend to a stakeholder at a certain point. And the stakeholder is going to want to know why did the cloud spend spike? But having that unit economic to say, yeah, cloud spend did spike, but our unit economics stayed the same, stayed true throughout. So that is ultimately good for the business, hopefully. But that would be a really valuable way to present. Um, That was fun. I, I genuinely was just like connecting that in my head. Nice. See, I <laughs> just always just said, take care of it. I had Dusty Bowling on my team and I would be like, go take care of it, Dusty, make it small again. And one of the things I remember is also getting a lot of anomalies. Every day I'd wake up, go into the office, check my email and I'd have five or seven new anomalies to look at it eventually it just becomes noise you know how have you found people maturing that so mm-hmm. it's interesting because i think that
1: question was posed to us when we first talked about doing this podcast is what's the right number of anomalies and the first thing that popped in my mind was how big is a ball of string right what's the right number and we had some conversation about this during one of our working group sessions a while back and somebody said oh i had like 15 anomalies last month and that's way too many i might." based on what, right? So it kind of comes down to, you know, Victoria talked about earlier on about the concept of being within a certain level of standard of deviation from the norm or predicted amount and really understanding what that needs to be, I think shapes the right number. And I also look at it from a perspective of, was that anomaly that was detected actually an anomaly, right? There's this concept of false positives and a lot of anomalies end up being false positives in most organizations. So if you can reduce the false positives and make sure that you're within a certain range, I think that's a cost of doing business. I also believe that there's certain processes that perhaps you have something in your environment that does need to scale as volumes go up, business volumes go up. And if it's not scaling at a, in a linear fashion, you might need to look at the architecture of that item because that's if that's generating an anomaly and it's not scaling appropriately consuming more resources then you probably have an architecture problem or opportunity maybe is a better way to look at it
3: potentially get, getting in that unit cost again if you're seeing things scale and your unit costs are changing that could be a bad thing as well Hmm. so the amount of anomalies doesn't really matter it depends on what the action is going on and i just keep thinking you have to have that connection to what's going on in the business. You know, I'm thinking about how I did it and it was all just so kind of cookie cutter. Spend goes up against pattern, you get an alert. Victoria, have you matured your processes past my processes at all in this? Or is it still just like you get an alert and you have a system of knowing if it's a false positive or something that to need to be looked in on?
0: Yeah, I think in the past, my experience has been kind of similar and having some of those, like I said, those communication paths helps. But at the same time, if you're looking at an anomaly over weekly spend, you might still get that same anomaly over and over. But if you already know the reason for that, you can declare those false positives and move on to the next thing. And so that is one way to help filter those out.
1: I'll add on to that, right, is building a product for internal use is, where, is the way we started before we expanded into other areas of the FinOps world, but building that anomaly detection internally and using it internally, you know, we, we initially found things like, again, leaving servers running that should have been shut off. So we then built other tools to, oh, let's make it so we can just schedule these things to shut off. So we went upstream, right? So having that opportunity to build both the detection and then the automation was something that was interesting in our environment because every time we'd solve one problem or try to reduce a anomaly, the volume of anomalies, we'd find some other thing that then became a noise generator, as you talked about, and then we would look mm-hmm. to solve that issue as well. And so we would bring those numbers of anomalies down over time as a result of that. The good news is a lot of vendors have done that, and then they build those things
3: into their product that can be shared
1: and taken advantage of for other folks.
3: I like that. It's the FinOps cycle, inform, optimize, operate. You know, you guys are taking me back the department operation meetings. You're know, like, we're getting so many service tickets. Reduce the amount of service tickets we get. And it's the same thing with cost anomalies is, hey, if we're continually getting cost anomalies from servers that are being left on, let's get an automation script to help us get those turned off. And then you get the next version of the false positives. Is that how you fine-tune? Is that the best way to fine-tune your anomaly detection?
1: I think so. I mean, it's kind of like, as you would mentioned, the FinOps, Inform, Circle meets Agile development, and you bring those two together, and you just clean house, so to speak.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Clean the operations of it. Clean yeah. the operations of yes.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that, because part of the anomaly resolution is figuring out why it happened in the first place. And then that's where you can do the iteration and figure out if we can put some controls on that in the future. Or if it was just a a mistake, then yeah, how do you prevent that mistake from happening again? Or you might find out that it was on purpose and then that goes into your business plan architecture and things like that. And that's another discussion that you can have.
3: Right. Well, and that's really interesting because this, makes me feel like I was such a bad manager because I'm terrible at documenting just like so many other people. And I would just say, go make these go away. But if you're documenting the anomalies and what you're seeing, you can make cases for like, Hey, please put in this release of shutting down servers because this is what we would expect based off, you know, we'll get a reduction of this many false positives. We'll be able to really focus in on more time. And likewise, you're saying like, if someone has a business plan or an architecture that has been shown to generate that sort of false positives, that you can be aware of it. And so can the business IT team. I like how you're all making me think, Joe, there's better ways than just saying, make this go away. So let's say an event's happening. You know, they're testing something on the weekend or that Black Friday event's happening. How do you deal with planned events, which are going to trigger those alerts?
0: So I would say that dealing with those planned events, if you have a tool that's automating Mm. your anomaly alerts, it's not necessarily going to know that you had something planned. And it probably would take a pretty advanced tool to be able to factor that in to its anomaly detection. So I would say that those might just show up as false positives. And if you have a good understanding of what's to come in your environment, then you can flag that and know that it is already resolved and you don't have to take any more action and then I would go back and factor that into the unit cost and see if it does make sense with what you have expected.
3: So bringing in the tooling what are the positives and negatives of all the different tooling sorts of options the free services provided by the cloud service providers third parties and tools you build yourself.
0: I definitely want to say that I think it is great to have an option that is freely available and, and gives you alerts however I do think think it is also complicated when you don't know what goes into the algorithms you don't necessarily know why they're flagging something as an anomaly. And it might make more sense to build something yourself internally because then you do know what goes into it. You know what you want to track. That takes a bit more effort, but it might also help reduce the number of anomalies you get because you know what you're looking for versus a tool that's just going to randomly alert you on anything that could possibly happen.
3: Yeah. That's a super interesting point. The community is definitely maturing my viewpoint on that because I'm just like, tools make it easy, which is great because you can accelerate really fast, but then you get to a certain point where it's like, okay, I need to build for my example and I need to define what is efficient or what is expected or not. And it's an interesting view of how we mature
1: yeah build versus buy and then you have as you mentioned the cloud service providers and the tooling they provide and you know there's always a trade-off with all these things right the csps are always very specific to their own cloud if you're multi-cloud managing that across multiple vendors ends up being a challenge or or you don't have a centralized place to go and now if you're integrating with a workflow tool you, you need to build multiple connections and manage those you start looking at building yourself i think the basics for anomaly detection are pretty easy to do. I think as the vendors are really starting to embrace ML and bring that into the environment, that's a whole new dimension. And granted, you can go out and connect to the various types of APIs that are out there and and use those tools. But if you can leverage a, a vendor that has a roadmap and ongoing development in that space, and I have to caveat, I am a vendor, I'm always gonna advocate the vendor solution, right? Just, you know, then you don't need to bring in house the skills to manage and train a learning model and do all of that, that work's being done for
3: you. Yep, absolutely. Well, how about the working group? Making sure that we cover what's going on in Sprint 2. Do you need anything from the rest of the community for Sprint 2? Do you need any user stories or examples of anything?
0: I would say it is always useful to get examples of how people have gone through their own process of maturing because there are different ways to get there. And knowing how other people have done it can provide somewhat of a roadmap for others to try to do the same. And then they might figure out a different way to do it and sharing that would help other people in the future.
1: 100% agree with that. I think just the user stories, the more we can get, the better. We're always looking for trying to incorporate additional use cases that we may not have thought of, we may not have
3: had, and it just helps us build a better playbook. All right, that's awesome. So probably late summer release of Sprint 2 Working Group, a resource to really flesh out and mature this into a full playbook. And then Sprint 3 maybe in the future. We'll see. We'll have to find out and see. All right, let's play in the future. Victoria and Keith, let's say in the fall or winter. I don't know when. This is all theoretical. There's an idea for Sprint 3. Of the Cost Anomaly Working Group, would you join again?
0: Oh, absolutely. No. Yeah, we, yeah, of course.
3: <laughs>
1: it's been a great experience. I think for me personally, I'm actually considering going to the KPI group just because I see a lot of synergies with what we've done here in the Cost Anomaly Detection and potentially bring leverage that into the KPI group, I think would be actually pretty cool
3: that is a cool idea. They're all related. They can't do one capability without impacting others. So that's a really cool idea. With that
1: said, though, I think that there's an opportunity to further flesh out the unit economics side of the cost anomalies. And, you know, the framework's there, right? The concept is there, but what does that actually mean? And how does that look? And how do you incorporate that? What are the best practices I think would be a great opportunity for Sprint 3
3: and 4? And I don't mean to sign people up for that, but I kind of am. <laughs> that's where my mind was going too when you were all talking about building the communication in and being able to report and weed out false positives the unit economics which i used to be totally against that sounds like a very good way to be able to in a very mature sort of way be able to gauge this is good cloud spend for the business or bad cloud spend for the business because wouldn't that be great if instead of measuring hey, this is unexpected spend, you would be doing a variation of what's good for the business versus what's bad for the business, which is a few steps down the line. I also
0: wanted to add about potential future sprints. I think going back to the maturity aspect, certain things you can mature on, but you might need another working group output to be able to mature further in that area before you can come back to anomalies and continue your maturity there. So I think getting those different prerequisites would be interesting to define and see how other people have done it
3: that is a cool idea prerequisites for so which working groups are holding you back which ones are dropping the ball Victoria I want you to name names
0: uh, I guess all the ones that Keith mentioned no <laughs> 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 no but I mean like you mm-hmm. you need to if you have your if you want to track anomalies on your unit costs then you have mm-hmm. to go to the unit cost playbook or guidebook <laughs> and figure out how to set that up first and then you can come back to the anomalies playbook or guidebook and figure out how you wanna factor that in to your anomaly tracking.
3: That's very cool. I like this. I like other working groups setting prerequisites on each other. I love it. I genuinely think this is really cool how you are all maturing this. I was reading through the working group output before. I was like, this is so much better than what I did. And <laughs> talking to you all, like gives me ideas of how it can continue to be better and in, in watching how the community is coming together to build these outputs and resources that will build on top of each other for really cool ways to generate value. So thank you. Thank you both for contributing.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.
4: I'm Dusty Bowling, Principal Engineer at SailPoint Technologies, and that was FinOpsPod. You know, I'm so happy that Joe never thought about comparing anomalies to unit economics when I worked for him he'd have me running in more circles than I already was. And that says enough. You can find the community resources from the Managing Anomalies working group and all the other working groups in the project section of FinOps.org. While you're out there, check out what working groups are open that you might want to contribute or submit an idea for a new working group because we're always looking for new ideas and suggestions. And if you aren't already part of the FinOps community, click on the join community button join the family while you're out there. A big thank you goes to Victoria Levy and Keith Knowles for sharing their perspectives on anomalies and working groups. Special thank you to Sam White and Gina Schulte from the Phenops Foundation for help keeping all the working groups organized and on task. And of course, a big thank you to Stacey Case and Joe Bailey for doing whatever it is that they do. That's all for this episode, Ones. Until next time, keep on and.